Hey guys, so today's downbeat featured a clip that the owner did not actually clear. I have to do a little editing here at the last minute. It was an excerpt from a presentation I gave that touched on the alleged white erasure that comes with racial equity work. So next week, Scott and I are going to discuss that clip and the organization that found themselves a little uncomfortable with my use of it. But in the meantime, here is Opus 65. Thanks for tuning in. Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, the podcast that has white men under attack. You hear that, Scott? I knew it was coming. <laughs> or do we? We'll get into that uh, in the fourth movement. Uh, an excerpt there, uh, the, this week's uh, downbeat from a, a town hall that um, I hosted with the American Composers Forum. So uh, thank you for that footage. I'll talk about that uh, a little later um, in the fourth movement. Um, Scott, uh, there's an, uh, an update about one of the accidentals you brought last week that we'll talk about uh, in the first movement. Some news out of California. And good news at that. Yeah. Um, I'll uh, talk a little bit about uh, B-Day, what happened on B-Day. Happy belated birthday uh, to Beyonce. Um, And yeah, before we just uh, get into all of that, I wanted to give my uh, shout out um, just to all the listeners. You know, last week, you know, I talked about, you know, some drama I was going through um, at work. I got a lot of really uh, positive feedback, some really encouraging words. So Thank you very much. Y'all, um, you know, keep us going a lot. You know, Scott, even, you know, just uh, from being on the radio, I'm sure that there are those uh, evenings on air when that nice message comes through that really just kind of gives you three or four points in the positive direction, right? It does. And as a matter of fact, I got one just a few days ago that I would like to give a quick shout out to Jay Reed Brundage sent a really nice email at a time where, you know, like last week I was telling you about how I was struggling and yeah, yeah. went in and uh, a lot of times we talk about sitting there in the in the studio and you don't know if what you're saying resonates or if it's making any difference, what's the purpose, blah, blah, blah. And it's nice to get a note every once in a while. That that was enough to keep me going for another several months. Yeah, so, so shout, shout out to you. All right, well, let's go ahead and check our accidentals here. All right, Scott, I'll go ahead and get us started Um, just by quickly um, acknowledging that since the last time we taped, um, it was a very important holiday. Yes, the birthday of the one and only Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter, always... um, a blessing to have a reason to wake up in the morning and to hear some music by uh, one of your favorite composers, one of my favorite composers anyway. I'm did, surprised you didn't use Queen in that sentence, not once. <laughs> uh, do, do, do you have a favorite uh, Beyonce tune? We, we had. I told you, Formation. For you, like, what is it about Formation that, that you like? Bump, 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 bump. <laughs> 
I don't know. That just that just starts making me work my neck a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to um, just not that Beyonce ever needs a shout out for me, but uh, you know, it, it ever it made it across the news that in honor of her birthday, uh, she donated an additional one million dollars to help Black-owned small businesses across major cities. She's already uh, in collaboration with the NAACP through uh, what they call empowerment programs that uh, through this COVID era are helping the black owned businesses get on their feet and stay on their feet. Well, you know, Beyonce for her birthday um, gave gifts to everyone else. So, you know, that's, that's very sweet. I always thought that on our birthdays, we should be giving gifts to our mother. Uh, Sorry, my phone (laughs) or my watch here. Why, why wouldn't we give flowers and a bunch of gifts and, and breakfast in bed to our mothers? They're the ones that went through it. That's, oh, what my, that, that's what my mom argues. All, all, we, all we did was show up. <laughs> uh, at, uh, one, uh, when I was down uh, living in the Bahamas, uh, the piano teacher, I'm sorry that I can't remember his name right now, but I think he was Dutch. Mm-hmm. And in Dutch tradition, when it's your birthday, you take everyone out to eat. So he took us all out to eat uh, on his birthday. But, wow. Yeah, but but, but anyway, um, Beyonce is uh, is out here doing it. Uh, I, when I uh, wrote this down to bring up, uh, I scribbled down here, you know, who would you give, you know, on your birthday, you know, when, when, when Triloquy is a billion dollar business, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on your birthday, uh, where, where would you uh, throw a million dollars at? And okay, we can say black owned businesses, but like what specifically would you really uh, throw some money at if you had it? I would love to see a place where kids could come in and use, uh, you know, workbenches and tools to fix things in their house like come in and fix a lamp okay uh come in and and you know if they got a turntable where the belt come off you know um some place that had you know uh, you know find some guy that you know was a fix it uh, handyman just to sit and monitor the tools and make sure nobody you know electrocutes themselves (laughs) or something right right. but um like a workshop a place where uh, people who live in apartments who don't have access to tools and things like that yeah. can go and make the things that they own last longer. You know, it's not just and and, and go with me here. Uh, I'm I'm feeling kind of uh, loopy, but uh, remember on the office where Andy talked about inner city f- uh, flag uh, teaching. Kids I think that flag. is very important. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's not so it this, saves lives. So so what you just described is not that. You know, going and uh, and uh, getting these folks to learn. You know. Uh, uh, skills like this, you know, they can go home and fix the rickety ceiling fan. Or, or, you know, it's not just teaching something for teaching its sake. Exactly. And, you know, there's a a woman, a friend of mine who had a a little side business called Fixity or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and it was, you know, it would show you how to how to get a, a zipper that went off track back, you know, little things like that. So that something doesn't have to just be thrown away. Yeah, yeah. So thank you um, to Beyonce uh, out here serving us musically, out here serving us uh, philanthropically, just killing it. I have to go back and address some feedback from Last Opus in my triloquy. I was talking about inmates fighting California wildfires, and there was all sorts of legalities and unfairness surrounding that, at least in my view, from what I was able to find out. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Ramsbergable is his <laughs> Twitter handle, Caleb Ramsby, if I'm reading that backwards. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, so Caleb is uh, not only has he shared some great guitar tracks with me. Oh, has he? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I really. Uh, he's given me some really neat tips, and you know, I was looking for some inspiration in other areas. So thanks for that, Caleb. But he also wrote like the next day after the podcast dropped. He said, "I have to add that there's a further tragedy because when they're released from prison, they're not able to become firefighters as a profession." Uh, and then you got an, a direct message from, was it Molly, mm-hmm. a wom- woman named Molly, who said that some bill that had been proposed uh, went through. And so now inmates who work on these firefighting teams will be able to do that as a profession when they get out. So that's the that's the big win of the week as far as I'm concerned. So I put a natural by that. How about that? Oh, yeah. oh we're always forgetting that. Oh, for my Beyonce, by the way, obviously, it's not even a, a accidental. It's a it's a B symbol. Mm. B B insert B emoji. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, with these, uh, you know, with these wildfires, again, I just feel like there is something. I wonder what person said something to someone or who was in, you know, what room to get some uh, movement on this to, you know. I wonder that same thing, because uh, um, as she pointed out in that direct message to you, um, it uh, wondering whether or not it was a for-profit thing is a very important part of it. Right. But but there was a negotiation between, uh, I believe it was some prison guild or board or something. F- forgive me if I'm butchering it. But basically what I'm getting at is there was a, an equitable contract. Yeah. So nobody was really, you know, making going to the bank over this. Yeah. Well, I hope that, um, you know, for, for more of the inmates than not, this turns into a really uh, great opportunity. Uh, when, when we talk about uh, defund the police and all that, when when the protesters are are saying that, it's interesting that you know we aren't talking about the firemen, we aren't talking about the EMTs. You know, th- th- this is a service that you know virtually everyone believes in, and you know you see a firefighter and you don't think of someone. Uh, you don't think of an oppressor. You know, you think of you know. So um, I, I I love. That these, um, you know, inmates are, are, are getting an opportunity now, you know, th- there's, there's always critique. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't take statewide tragedy, you know, to be rehabilitating um, inmates, giving them skills. You know, this can happen, you know, uh, across many different things. It, it doesn't just have to be firefighting. It can be anything. But, you know. But so to, be, to be able to get out and get a good. With all that said. Right. And get a good paying job like that, right. though. That's right. huge. Okay. Well, I mean that 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 that's some good news to hear in this year of and and people take for granted. Um, you know, I, I lived in California for a couple of years. People take for granted things like droughts and sure. you know wildfires. So um, it's not the leaves that are. It's not the leaves aren't the cause of all this. Then what do you mean the leaves? Oh, you haven't heard the the president said that they should just get out and get all the leaves up. Oh, that's. Oh, I see. Look, you're Donald Trump. I was is not confused. About to <laughs> get, I get me out of my mood, but that, but that's what was said. I that thought they need it was, to get their leaves. Yeah, I thought that people just weren't raking. In it's California. all, it's all those brown leaves. Speaking of a. Uh, different color leaves and all that you know Appalachia is beautiful getting beautiful that well maybe not down there but up here you know starting to get a little snap in the air is crisp really cool you know um that's my segue into um taking us over to Knoxville so last week I'll put a let's say I'll put a 
a I'm gonna have to put another flat by this because you know there are a lot of musicians out of work. So last week I talked about how uh, the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra uh, board and management. Um, you know, threw a unpaid furlough on them at the last minute, right. And, uh, right before their season was supposed to start, and that went against uh, their their union contract. Um, uh, since then, um, th- there hasn't uh, been much movement, but I've learned a little bit more. So just as an update for people interested in that, uh, this is a quote uh, from uh, uh, one of the uh, musicians. It says, and, and this and this full article, I'll, I'll uh, post more information, uh, but this just takes a quote from one of the musicians. It said, uh, the movement to furlough us was a strong arm tactic to force us to accept a drastic pay cut that would have made many musicians dependent on government assistance says Sam Chin, member of the orchestra negotiating committee, also principal trombone, I should say. He goes on to say musicians on salary, so this is full-time musicians, Mm -hmm. musicians on salary would have been cut from $31,500 a year to $18,000 a year after health insurance costs, okay? So um, I know last week I got on my soapbox about uh, orchestras can pay their musicians to do other things if the concert hall is unavailable, you know, if you're having to take cuts anyway. Um, $18,000 a year for your job, that's really, that's rough. And I know a lot of people are getting unemployed. You know, a lot of people are at $0 right. a year. But um, it, it's it's important just to, to, to remember that um, in every corner of, of, of the world, 2020 is really taking a toll. You know, there are musicians out here who went to music school and fought long and hard and, you know, won an audition behind the screen we've been talking about, right. done all this. And now here they are making, you know, um, $18,000 a year. Now, in the case of the Knoxville Symphony, and I can speak from personal experience, uh, those folks on salary, you know, are at the are at the upper end. So, you know, positions like mine, second bassoon, um, you know, make less than that. So, sure. you know, I, I would have been um, cut even more. Um, there is a, a site, again, that I'll uh, link here if you want to support or just learn more about uh, what the members of the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra are going through. Um, I'm sure it's not just them either. I, 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 this is kind of, you know, in, in my face because these are my former colleagues. But, you I know, I, I wonder what's going on with the Omaha Symphony or symphonies over in New Mexico or, you know, and all of these people, all of these individuals who um, are just having a having a rough time. I do worry about that. Who was it that's who was it that you quoted a few opuses ago that said 50% of the orchestras aren't going to survive? Oh, that was uh, Blair Tyndall, uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Right. Okay. So uh, I have to wonder if the Omaha Symphony's one of those. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't know what sort of other means of funding that they've got. I just don't. I'll look into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wish everyone well uh, down in Knoxville, of course. Um I'm trying to hang on myself. We're, we are all, you know, just fucked, aren't we? Mm. Uh, if in not, one way then, or we're, then we're close. Right? And, and it's always important, again, to acknowledge privilege and all that. I'm grateful to still have my paycheck coming in. But there's so many that just don't. So, you know, I think it's important for me to uh, use this space to to, um, to to name that. I think, you know, along these lines, last week we were talking about how the Baltimore Symphony is guaranteeing um, concerts for X amount of years and the responsibility there. Um, you know, th- this, this next, th- this last little accidental that I'm going to put a flat next to you know makes me think about that so we have the bbc proms 
um, you know, wrapping up uh, things for uh, for for the season for for this time around. And there was um, th- there's a tradition, you know, to sing uh, Royal Britannia at at, at the, the end last of, night of the proms. It's huge. Yeah. So you know, there was some tussling back and forth when everyone is looking at uh, you know past traditions and really critiquing those traditions. There was a strong contingency of people saying that the BBC prom should not uh, highlight uh, Royal Britannia at the end uh, as it as it always does. And just for folks who don't know, I'll read the um, opening lyrics here. Rule Britannia, Britannia, rule the waves. Britons never, never, never shall be slaves. Right out of the out of the gate, you know, with the with the American national anthem, you got to go deep into <laughs> to mm-hmm. verse three. But just right in the first stanza here, they going for it. Mm. And then Scott the prose, never, never, never. I mean, just Shakespearean, isn't it? <laughs> you know, but anyway, let me not drag their song. But uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, eventually um, they agreed that it wouldn't happen, that, you know, out of sensitivity for, um, you know, all people, uh, inclusivity, equity, all of that, they wouldn't do it. Well, um, two days before, it looks like, uh, and I'll post this article. Um, it looks like uh, their new director decided, no, we need to, we need to remind them that Britons never, never, never shall be slaves. He did a, a whole U-turn on the decision, and um, the BBC caved, and um, and 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 the tradition lived on. So. Um, what do you think? That was this year. Yeah, this was a couple couple weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, okay, because I read somewhere that they were playing archived BBC performances for the proms. And right, so I, I, I should say that you know there was also conversation about well they originally said we aren't going to do the sing along because of COVID, but now we have a small group, and so they they framed it around other issues. You know, uh-huh. on one side of the uh, of the uh, debate, while on the other side, it was clearly about you know the language in that song that is just a little. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So they 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 had a chorus assembled to sing it and and lead the sing along. Is that what I'm getting? So I'll read here from the article. It says, in place of a full choir, the BBC had now decided to put in place a quote select group of singers who will sing the pieces inside the Royal Albert Hall with audiences free to sing along at home. So. You know, they they switch things up to where, again, the issue was not, oh, we can't sing this thing because of COVID, but, oh, now we've made it okay for you to sing this because we've made X, Y, you know, and and Z accommodation when the argument, you know, from the beginning for many people was this song should not be celebrated anymore. I see. So, um, you know, I I forget who I was talking uh, with this about, but I was kind of comparing it uh, to the the Star Spangled Banner. So, um, you know, like... Like I said earlier, you got to go deep. You got to, you know, dig deep in our stuff. You know, our racism is deep. So uh, in the third movement there in the third movement, in the third verse, <laughs> there's a uh, uh, language here. I had I had the place. It talks about hirelings, or <laughs> it, you know, hirelings and slaves or, you know, it, you know, similar to that rule Britannia, you know, just. Is that the help? I, I suppose so. Hireling. That that just sounds mm. even more rich white oppressor, doesn't it? Hireling. <laughs> it, it has a diminutive right, exactly. feeling about it, though. Like maybe they're underage. Exactly. So, you know, police brutality and all of that stuff aside, when we talk about kneeling for the anthem or whatever, you know, this is a song that I think one day we are going to have to get out of here. For, for most orchestras, um, in my experience, at least, you know, the season begins with a playing of, of the national anthem. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I think it's time, you know, and, and obviously the war on the national anthem would be some sort of news, wouldn't it? But it would. I mean, is, is there a part of holding on to that sort of musical tradition that you would fight for or against? What do you think about replacing uh, the stars, uh, uh, the Star Spangled Banner with in the mood or something, as, <laughs> you know, something more? Is that not very American? Is that not, you know? Um. I, I think there was a debate going on at one point that um, the senator, uh, Chris Christie, wanted New Jersey's theme song to be Born to Run. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sure. I mean, if you, can, if you can update something to Bruce, why not? Let's 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 put a Bruce song in there. I mean, but but what but but, but, but what do you think? Let let's say okay, we're done with the national anthem. Would you have some sort of feeling about that one way or another? I don't feel strongly about it one way or the other. It's not because I'm not patriotic. I come from a military family. I any time that that theme the that song plays, I've watched my dad drop what he's doing, stand and put his hand over his heart. Um, but for me, um, the, the attachment to it isn't as strong. I, I, I just, it, it just wasn't a, a part of my everyday. I, I, I know the words. I, I, I always find that, you know, I came from a military family argument. Interesting. You know, when folks talk, I'm not against, arguing with no, you. No, I know. I know. But I'm just saying when, <laughs> when people say, oh, well, you know, I can't kneel for the flag. I come from a military family, X, Y, Z. I come from a military family. Both of my parents were in the Air Force. You know, mm-hmm. I have two siblings currently serving in the Air Force and, and, and they not, you know, of uh, ha- they're not having those same arguments. You know, patriotism wasn't something taught or or, or bred in in my household. So, you know, I I, I, I think that is even fading as, as an argument. Because... Well, I guess I guess that that speaks to what I just said. It wasn't bred. It was just something that I saw sure. my father do. Sure. He didn't he didn't force me to do anything. Well, I think we need to be done um, with the Star Spangled Banner. Um, as, as as far as our national anthem, I know that is a long time coming before they do something about that. But there are different versions out there, or, or different um, different songs that are that are more inclusive. As far as this Rule Britannia, I guess I should mind my this side of the pond business. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know their their prime minister is uh, you know a bit problematic as well. You know we but both countries have leaders who are making people scratch their heads and great hair. Did you did uh, did did you did you uh, remember or have I shown you? Um, I think it's uh, the Fergie uh, version of the national anthem. I think uh, a couple of years ago at an NBA. Uh, did, did I show you? Oh, that one. I right. think that's closer to what you know. If we're gonna keep the words, that's closer to um, what it should be. All right. So now that we've checked our accidentals, it's time to um, talk about them uh, to, to strike a chord. Talk, talk about the music that um, struck a chord. You know, last week, Scott, you acknowledged this as sort of the um, mental uh, check-in mm-hmm. uh, portion. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about um, you know feelings and our and and the music and all that. But 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 before we got into that. Um, I wanted to offer a, a shout out to Chloe Flower. So um, maybe this is a pianist that I mentioned on Triloquy before. Um, a couple Grammy Awards ago, mm-hmm. um, uh, Cardi B uh, uh, 
uh, performed this song uh, called Money. And Chloe Flower, the pianist, performed along with her in this new arrangement. I had never seen or heard of Chloe Flower, you know, so I followed her on Twitter and checked out all of her stuff. Um, and, and she recently um, came out with um, a, a new project, Flower, uh, Flower Through the Concrete. You know, I just listen to this. Um, I hear this new flavor. We, we, we talk about all of these, um, especially at, uh, you know, on the radio. We ha have all of these, you know, mid-length uh, piano works by Schubert. And then, you know, we'll get one by Florence Price or Nathaniel Dead or, you know. Mm -hmm. um, this th th this piece of music reminds me of a more contemporary version of that. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, walking, instead of walking through an open meadow like some of the older composers would have, walking through a park, walking through a well-manicured um, you know, space that that's floral and and fun and okay. and, and and summery. Um, I I want to you know I wanted to make sure I came in and said her name and mentioned this project because a lot of people are out here talking about a new recording of of the Goldberg uh, variations by Long Long Long. I'm sure it's phenomenal. That's great. I see everyone talking about that, and there are these new you know pieces of music by these more contemporary artists that um is it's just not getting the same attention so I feel like again on this platform I need to you know be equitable and make a point to to name that and plus it's just really phenomenal music and she's a phenomenal uh, uh, a pianist you let's know? make a call right now if you work for the any uh, if you work for a record label if you're in the recording industry if you would like to uh, share your knowledge as to why we need a new four seasons every year <laughs> listen yes um why you know i i don't know did they find new notes do they does somebody have a an opinion as to how it really should be played i mean i suppose so but but i think that a lot of the problems that you talk about about representation on the year can be addressed at the record label level too they're, they're, right, that, and, and that's what I'm saying. There, there's there's equitable work that has to happen in every little corner. We always, you know, I always think of it as the world versus, you know, so-called classical music. But, you know, even within music, as you're naming, it's the record labels. It's the, you know, the talent scouts, if that's what they are, right. or A&Rs or, or whatever. Talent it's, and acquisition. Yeah, yep. it's, it's, all, it's all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, shout out to Chloe Flower. Uh, go, 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 go check out her latest uh, project, Flower Through Concrete. One of the albums I've been listening to lately is a result of going back and watching Joe Parra Talks With You on Adult Swim. And you guys, if you haven't watched this yet, you gotta, you have to go and check out Joe Parra because there's some, the, something about the simplicity of it, uh, the casual pace that it takes. It's also very beautiful and poignant. And there's some Steve Martin level humor going on in Joe Perra's uh, whole affect, if you ask me. I want to shout out Aspo, Aaron Esposito. There was this trumpet line that just, I mean, Joe as an, ex as an executive producer is doing some homework because the music really nailed down the entire aesthetic. And I found out it's Aspo, Aaron Esposito, 
And the album that it comes from is called Layers, but the piece that really spoke to me is called Nine. Go ahead and check out the the whole release. Uh, it, it's really nice, short little uh, musings, I guess is what uh, I would call it. But really, what I wanted to get into you, into with you this week was the whole idea of post. We uh, post punk, post modern, yeah. post whatever. How do you describe it? I, and I actually don't think I have. Well, we were talking about neo classical, neo romanticism, right. you know, earlier today. But when it comes to post things, I don't think I'm first in that. Okay. Well, I was talking with my friend, shout out to John Fleischer. We we finally were able to connect for a conversation and talking about what it means to be post something. And he paused and he said, I'd like to hear post yacht rock. What okay. does what does that sound like? And I would answer, um, I, I've really been digging the new release from Ray LaMontagne. It's called Monovision. And the single, Strong Enough, sounds like this. And from the 70s, I hear Steeler's Wheel, Stuck in the Middle with You. very next track called Summer Clouds sounds like this. That immediately made me think of John Denver. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. So I would say that if you're looking for post yacht rock, Monovision <laughs> by Ray LaMontagne is a really good uh, example of it. Really, it, it also gets back to more of the feeling that he did with the band called the Pariah Dogs mm -hmm. uh, a couple years ago. And um, it also brought just a whole wave of of memories of that era the and yeah see and that's what i want to get into you know yeah. with, with this post yacht rock and <laughs> you know like you you must have been in some kind of mood this week but what is, what is this music um giving you as far as something you're missing or or what is this music helping you um uh express even more because we talk about you know sometimes when you're feeling down you listen to down sort of music what 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 role is this post uh Yacht rock? Is post that what we're saying? What, what is this post yacht rock doing for your spirit this week? Or what did it do for you? It's There's a familiarity about it from the era that I first found him, you know, that I first found his music like in 2010 ish. But it also reminds me of when I was 12, 13 years old, no problems, barefoot in the grass, summer music, right? 
and and it was giving me that it was making it uh the 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 first song that i played for you that sounded like steeler's wheels called strong enough and that's a road song to me sounds like being on the road and so that was and so i can get behind i can get on the interstate and act like i'm on a road trip with that playing and just for a minute i feel like i'm going somewhere if i can pretend to be a therapist it sounds like you're just trying to get away music that's just promoting thoughts of getting away i i think that's accurate yeah i definitely want to get away (laughs) (laughs) Um, monovision ray lamontaine check it out yeah um, so uh, today's guest, um, his name uh, is Franklin. He uh, lives down in Nashville, is a, a music teacher, an elementary music teacher. And one of the things that comes up in our conversation, um, he talks about how he's more than a music teacher. He's there to teach kids joy. You know, one of the questions I asked him is, um, you know, when we talk about the pipeline into professional uh, positions, you mm-hmm. know, the pipeline to whatever, you know, I asked him about his vision of his role in that. And, you know, he he simply said that, you know, he believes in teaching joy about teaching kids how music can be that thing, you know, how this post yacht rock <laughs> was a thing for you, you know. Yep. Um, so with, with all that being said, I kind of wanted to uh, lead into that conversation uh, by uh, uh, talking about a tune on um, uh, uh, The Blackest King, uh, The Gift by Beyonce. It's called uh, Keys to the Kingdom, um, uh, a song by a couple of uh, artists, I think, from the um, from the from the, from the motherland, from the African uh, right. continent, Tiwa Savage and Mr. Easy. Um, you know, it reminds Reminded me, so I've you know I've been off work. I've just been at home, kind of uh, doing my thing. And um, there were mornings when I woke up where I felt like, so what am I doing? What is you know what 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 is it? Just kind of you know that that feeling of just openness of the day. You know, no real hard I have to do's, but a lot of I should do's. But I'm feeling lazy and lethargic, and you know all of those feelings that that I was feeling. I feel like was really uh, wrapped up in this song. So I've I've, I've spent a long time uh, with it all week, just kind of uh, with it on repeat. Mm. It makes me it makes me feel like. Um, there is there, there is some good coming, you know that that feeling of I feel sort of melancholic right now, but you know there 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 are some things, and then of course with my early morning walks, I mentioned to you earlier, um, being up early enough to see the sun and the moon at the same time, yeah, you know the the opening and closing lyrics, you know of of the song um, speak to that. So I thought I'd offer a little bit of that uh, before we got into uh, my conversation with uh, Mr. Franklin Willis. My high school teacher had played a, a pivotal role in me selecting music ed mm. as a profession. Um, I saw how music brought together so many different people and different cultures. And um, I just, I, I cherish like that aha moment on people's faces mm-hmm. when you make a connection with something and you understand it on a much deeper level. And so that was like 10th, 11th grade. And I said, you know what? I want to be a music teacher. Oh, well. I had no idea, <laughs> you know, 
what all of that meant. I just knew I wanted to do that. And so when I um, got to University of Memphis, um, there was times where we could go and, and do these field experiences. And um, I just remember I had taught, we had like five, 10 minute lesson. It was like a mini lesson we had to do in a class. Mm-hmm. And it was my turn and I taught sit down servant, which is a little spiritual. Um, and I taught it to like a group of five or six year olds. And I got up in front of them. I was nervous as crap, but I was going to make them have fun. I was just going to share my, I was going to make my little 10 minutes last. I was going to be the star (laughs) of my little class. I got up and sang that. Those kids were moving. We were doing some body percussion with it. And at that moment, it was just like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This, This is the field that I'm supposed to be in. Because through that music, through teaching, I'm able to share part of who I am and build up um, future students so that they can see that we all have something unique and something brilliant to share in the world. So, um, but that, that teaching experience, I think about that a lot because sometimes in this field, you can get um, bogged down with all the things that you want to change and all the things that you want to see um, um, differently. But I have to remember the key uh, to why I, uh, why I started that, why I started wanting to teach. I'm so glad you brought up uh, those practicums because, you know, the story that I always tell, I started out as a music ed major, did my practicum, you know, loved the high school kids, the, the high school band, the elementary school kids. Oh, I fell in love with them. When it was time for middle school, I decided I never wanted to be in that situation. I never wanted to risk being in that situation. Uh, I want to talk uh, to you a little bit about uh, classroom management. You know, middle school wasn't my, so much my, for my. me. You're teaching, you're teaching kids. You know, so the music part is one thing, but the but the sit down, Lord, as that song you talk says, <laughs> you know, sitting down, get the kids to hold still is also a part of it. How, how do you traverse just getting the kids to sit down and listen? Is, is there a musical uh, uh, remedy to that? Well, um, I learned this at a workshop about six or seven years ago, but it, 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 all you do quiet on the set. <laughs> And everybody claps. And if they don't clap, you say it again. Quiet on the set. And then when you say that, you have to give instructions on what you want next. And I've seen some teachers use it, and they just say, quiet on the set. And the kids clap. And then you don't have anything else for them to do. So what are they going to do? They're going to start talking. They're going to start moving. They're going to start going back to their business that they were doing before. So um, classroom management is tricky because you can't get what you want until you give the kids what they want. Mm. And so when I say that, who are you? Why should I pay attention to you? What, what, why are you teaching? Like you could be doing (laughs) anything else. And so maybe the last two, three, possibly four years, I always start the year off telling the kids my story before we get into the X's and O's before we get into quarter notes and rhythms I want to tell you about Mr. Willis. This is my musical story. What is yours? And so sharing them, sharing with them my first solo, my um, the time I was in choir and we won an award and what that felt like, um, showing them pictures of me in high school. Um, this is me in college. This is where I met my wife. Like all of these stories so that they see that I'm a human being. I'm a person. I'm, I'm not here just to instruct you. I'm here to learn with you. 
And so then after that, I um, I want to know, learn about them. What's your favorite song? You know, what are you watching at home? Um, do you take um, private lessons? Um, what instruments do you play? This gives us an opportunity to learn about each other and so that we can build trust and so that we can build a relationship so that when the next week when you come in and I see you talking and I'm trying to talk and I say, hey, Sharonda, I need I can just give you the look and mm -hmm. she knows, oh, my bad, Mr. Willis, you go ahead. But if we haven't built that relationship, if we haven't built that camaraderie, it's immediately going to be like you trying to call me out. Right. And so then that's when I got to step up and I got to show flex my muscles and I got to go in on you because yeah. I got to maintain the respect of my classmates. And then another piece that I think a lot of teachers miss is we must recognize the students outside of the classroom. Mm. So when I say that, I had car rider duty. I couldn't stand it, but it ended up being a blessing because I was able to connect with the kids immediately when they got off that bus, when they got out of the car, I was able to talk to parents and just being seen and being in that space they knew, Mr. Willis, if you acted up in Mr. Willis' class, he was going to talk to your mama that afternoon or he right. was going to talk to her that morning. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, hey, we had a tough day in class today. Y'all had that conversation, like, I don't know what happened. He usually is a rock star in my class. But today he was a little off. And so what that does is it builds transparency. It builds, like, Mr. Willis will step out of his classroom space and step into my world. Mm-hmm. And so um, when, when, we, when we do that, our kids see us not just as teachers, but as people and as, as uh, people in their community who want to see them do well. So football games, cheerleading activities, I've been to church services, I've been to ballet performances, because outside of the classroom, they get to see me and I get to see them for who they are. So classroom management, many times has a lot to do with the building of relationships. And so when I say quiet on the set in August and you're still talking, I can correct you and say, hey, no, this is my expectation. When I say quiet on the set, everybody claps. You stop what you're doing. You look at me for further instructions. So when we're on a field trip in May and I'm taking you to sing at wherever or we're going to do some, some fantastic performance, and you're getting a little rowdy and it's a thousand people and I need you to get quiet, quick, quiet on the set. And so people are like, oh, my God, how did you do that? It started back in August with me telling them about who I am and my story and my expectations. Mm. So I think when people begin with the end in mind, when they think about classroom management, it will lead you to a path of success and it will build um transparency and your kids they will rock with you but you yeah. can't just start that up when it's time to do something important <laughs> exactly exactly and shout out to Sharonda I'm sure she didn't mean it Sharonda <laughs> um, you know we, we talk a lot about uh, you know I, a question I see on social media a lot is you know how old were you when you had your first black man teacher mm. okay I wonder if mm. uh, being um, a black man in an elementary setting is something that um, that uh, the, the kids see in a different way or maybe even some of your colleagues 
colleagues see in a different way? D does your body, does, does who you are physically impact uh, the space in which you're trying to teach? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, um, it was one of those things that you kind of ignored or you didn't really understand. I'll say I didn't ignore. I didn't understand just the power of my presence. Mm. Um, my first maybe three, four, five, six years. It wasn't until my last school that I realized that me just being in a space um, provided some students with a level of assurance and a level of like, wow, he got my back. Like it's, it's an unspoken thing when students walk into your room for the first time and you got a hip hop beat playing and you're asking them, hey, can you clap the steady beat for me? And you can see it in some of the, the black kids and the students of color, they're looking like, I ain't never been asked to do nothing like yeah. this, but boy, this is fun. <laughs> and so, um, but I'll never forget my, uh, the open house at my last school and parents, there was a, another teacher before me. She was white, uh, white female, and she had been there for a number of years. And here comes me. And when they, when they come into my room, I got like my, posters up of african-american composers i got my slideshow going with pictures of me and my family and um one of the one of the parents asked me like where'd you get your degree from uh you know how long have you been teaching um and in that moment i answered the questions right i did all of that but then when i thought about it it's like hold on she wasn't asking those questions really no you were, you were trying to see if I was qualified for the job. And clearly, I had to go through some steps to get to this position. And um, that's when it started dawning on me. So I went to my principal and I said, when was the last time y'all hired a black man? Not, not custodian, yeah, not right. special ed assistant. Not PE. But, not PE, but like a black educator. And she said, Franklin, I can't tell you the last mm. time. And so that's when my like my lens went up and it's like, wow. And then when you think about like, I think about um, experiences I had with colleagues who would come to my room to drop kids off and immediately they would roll into, he had a horrible day, she had a horrible day. And of course they were talking about the black kids, the kids of color. Mm -hmm. And um, I became like, the enforcer and I had to I had to like check myself because that's not the role that I play for those kids right like you're not going to make me be like the angry black man the angry black man <laughs> because they didn't show their behavior towards me they showed they showed it towards you and so I can I can tell you a hundred store hundreds of stories of students who were in my choir and like because somebody did something in that classroom, they had to pay for it in their after school activities and mm. things like that. So I had to come to grips with, hey, and I told the kids this, I want you to be respectful at all times. But what I'm really what I really was trying to, I guess, teach them is, wow, you have to be this way. You can be this way with me. You can be yourself with me. But in this other space, you got to be this other. And so it gets into that double consciousness. <clears throat> And it's like, wow, even at elementary school, our black kids, they don't know that that's what they're having to do, but that's what they're having to do. You can't.
be your quote unquote self with Mrs. Such and Such. But when you come to Mr. Willis's classroom, you can let your hair down, you can laugh, we can have a good time together and we're still gonna learn. So, um, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing when you're able to sit back and reflect on some of those things. And I mean, I had some of the best, like talented kids and they would be so amazing in my space. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I would hear that they did X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that is not that kid. And so sometimes people can't see the brilliance in our children because of the, the filter that they have of what good is, what brilliance is. And so that's why I always tell people find the brilliance because there's brilliance in every child. I don't care what has happened. There's something in that kid that we can unlock as teachers that will help them find their passions, their goals, their dreams, their aspirations. And so um, I, I had to check myself and understand that you may want me to play that role of angry black man, but I'm not doing that. So when you send him or her down to my room, I'm going to I'm going to build them up. I'm not going to tear them down. That is so beautiful, you know, and, and, you know, earlier you were talking about, you know, going to college and bringing that uh, street knowledge and that street sense into the classroom, having to code switch, you know, that's the, yep, that's that's the phrase I use. And, you know, that it's early conditioning of that, you know, that that you're laying out right here. Uh, you, you mentioned these um, hip hop beats and all of that. Uh, yes. when, when, we, when we talked earlier this week, I told you I was so tickled seeing you a video of you in your classroom with one of these 808s going and not. Mm -hmm. just the black kids but you have the white kids and they're doing right. it too <laughs> that's right I, I wonder if you know if i can if i can be frank you know I, I wonder if um it's a challenge for you um to connect with those kids now that you're censuring a perspective that these uh these young black kids don't get anywhere else mm -hmm. um you know garrett it's one of those things man i feel that hip-hop gets a bad rap right it's misogynistic. It it's homophobic. It's violent. Like, it's it's yeah. violent. It has all of that, but it also has hope. It also has a story of overcoming. It also has um, peace, and it also has calling out things in as they were in social consciousness and all of these pieces. And so, when you get to thinking about and peeling back that, don't all music have that? Doesn't oh, yes. opera have that? <laughs> you know, like, oh, yes. doesn't blues have that? Doesn't country music and pop have that? Mm -hmm. But for some reason, and we know the reason, racism, we have pinned Black music, hip-hop music as bad. And so when I started using hip-hop um, in my classroom, it wasn't to be overly political. It was literally to connect with kids. Mm -hmm. Because what I found was a group of kids, and I tell this story all the time, um, when Old Town Road came out, it was during testing season of 2019, the kids were getting off the bus. I'm going to take my horse to the old. They were singing on mm -hmm. the playground, cafeterias, and the hallways. But then when they came to Mr. Willis' room and I asked them to sing a song that I wanted to teach, I was getting attitude. I was getting pushed back. <laughs> and I said, wait, I reflect. I'm like, they were singing. How come I can't bring that into my classroom? 
And so I brought that song into my classroom. We, we talked about beats. They created their own ostinatos. They got in groups. They created movement. And then we talked about form. And I was able to mix all of that together. And those kids had a ball. I had a ball. And so it's turning what we consider music ed, just flipping it on its head. Yeah. Were they learning? Absolutely. Were they collaborating? Yes. Were the musical standards being addressed? Yes. Could they speak the language, uh, the standards, the quarter notes, the eighth notes, the sixteenth notes, mm-hmm. the rest? You know, were they able to say all that? Absolutely. And so it's changing our minds and our perspectives on what their music can be. And then I'll say this. For my Black students, hip-hop is their way of life, like for most of our Black students. And quite frankly, our white kids are consuming hip-hop at a higher rate most times than our Black kids. Mm -hmm. The white parents may not know it, but when they get in their room and they cut on their laptop and their tablet, they're cutting on Drake. That, and that's what I was saying. That speaks to access. You know, these kids have yes. that laptop and that and that yes. uh, and that tablet or whatever. And so when I do that, they're able to connect with that too, and they're able to see, oh, music is music. Like, wow, I can still connect what I learned over here to here, and that is my key, and that is my goal, is that we're able to connect to their daily lives and show them the importance of music so that later on they can continue to be consumers of music. If that's hip hop, if that's singing in your church choir, if that's being a music teacher, that is my goal. My goal is not for you to love the music, it's for me to expose you to it so that you have a, a better understanding of the music world. Yeah. Because yeah. if my if my elementary music teacher was using hip hop, Back in the day to catch the steady beat. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And we're, we're, we're actually going to get into that pipeline here in a second, but uh, I wanted to, you know, quickly ask you about um, teaching in 2020. You know, you say uh, music is music, but the classroom is not the classroom. Cer- certainly not these days. How are yeah. you traversing uh, your career in this COVID age? Well, you know, um, man, I, I serve as a, elementary music coach in my district and providing support for about 90 elementary music teachers. And we're using Quaver Music, um, which is an online platform for students and teachers. But you know what? Um, teacher, music teachers are so creative. I've seen so many like videos and like just great ways to interact with kids through this, through this time. And um, it is different. And it, it took me a while to like finally say, okay, Franklin, you have to accept this. Because back in March, we were like, okay, we'll be back to work around May. Mm-hmm. And then May came and they said, well, we're not coming back at all this school year. So then we was like, okay, August, we'll go back. But then August came and we're not back. So it, I had to accept this change and this shift um, what I will say is with elementary students and the, and the piece that we're still trying to figure out is the access piece because mm-hmm. everybody doesn't have Wi-Fi, laptops, iPads. And so trying to find a way to really engage students. And then, the, like you said, the classroom is not the classroom because the classroom has now become the kitchen table. Right. Or, or, the, or the closet. Yeah. And so now... 
and I've talked to a couple of teacher friends, they've like feel like their space has been invaded. Like school has taken over their entire space. Yeah. And so um, it's one of those things that I think as we continue to collaborate and see what are the trends, we will begin to build our capacity for this new online virtual music instruction because now um, just getting ready for a competition, right? that can't be music education. Like that, that, that's, that's out. Like I see a lot of people have done the virtual videos, which are cool, but how do we continue to uh, teach our students in this new way and maintaining their um, attention? Because now everything is on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm learning, man, I'm still learning. I'm reading and researching. Franklin has not figured this thing out. <laughs> um, but one thing that I know is you have to continue to learn. And I shout out all of the older teachers who have been teaching for 25, 26 years. And here it is again, teachers are having to shift. Yeah. And, and some of my mentors, they are knocking it out. They stand up, they're figuring out Zoom, they're figuring out Microsoft Teams. Like, can you imagine like 25 years ago, Right. They were teaching in the classroom with the book, with the CD, yeah, with the there tape hardly player. was an internet. Exactly. <laughs> and so um, that just speaks to the power of um, human beings and being able to evolve. Yeah. Um, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about um, the professional uh, pipeline or pathway when it comes to music from the collegiate level, you know, getting more black folks into conservatories to get them into more orchestras and to more and to other professional um, ensembles. Where uh, what do you think your role is as an elementary teacher? Um, along that pathway? What, 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 are, what foundations are you building along um, uh, a child's uh, path toward a career, toward, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, in or outside of music? Well, um, for me, the first, I want to teach joy. Mm, I mean, that's beautiful. Be, before I get into, like, all of the career paths and things, I feel that my goal is is to teach joy. And when I say joy, I'm saying the experience of music making and understanding the, the creativity and the the love that comes with music. And and I try to do that in every lesson. Um, there has to be an element of play, right? Uh, where students can make choices and they can understand music for themselves. Now, once we get that going and that is moving, the artistic piece comes in. Like you can't say that's a whole note and it's a quarter note. Like we, we got to fix that. Yeah. All right. Like we, we have to fix that. But if you're not happy about making music, you're not going to like dig in. That's just my philosophy. I've been in choirs before where it was all about singing the right note and singing um, the right pitches, but there was no love in the music making. There was no, understanding of what we were singing. Um, now, when it comes to performance and when it comes to uh, artistry, I make sure that students have those opportunities and I let them self-assess. Mm -hmm. I let We record our rehearsals, we record our performances, and then we come back and say, okay, what did you like? What did you not like? Why didn't you like that? What would happen if fill in the blank? 
And so then you're able to give them that critical, they're giving you that critical feedback. Mm -hmm. And then you take that and you pour it into the next piece that you're teaching or the next selection. So um, when you think about, um, I have, I just, I got two kids that I taught in middle school who are now um, studying to be music teachers. Wow. And that just, you know, you hear people say that. I'm like, man, I'm getting, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're just like, man, Mr. Willis, I, I just, I got to be a music teacher. So um, it's just one of those things that you don't know where children will end up. You just want to give them the tools that they need to succeed. So when they get into a scenario or when they get into an experience, they have things to pull from that toolbox. They're able to say, oh, we talked about performance anxiety. Mr. Willis gave me some tools about that, mm -hmm. how to breathe. Oh, we talked about identifying the solfege in this piece. Let me go back to my elementary music experience. Oh, we talked about major and minor and happy sounds and sad sounds. Oh, that chord doesn't sound right when I'm sitting in my music theory class. Let me go back to what Mr. those tools that he gave me. And then when it goes into that artistry piece, what do you feel? What do you hear when you see this music? All of those pieces, I think they're so vitally important when we're building young musicians, because then they will have an ear for the things that, quite frankly, I used to just sing the notes, honestly. Yeah. When I went to my voice lesson, I'm, I'm studying 30 minutes before, I'm trying to just sing the notes so I can get out of there scotch-free. That's not music making. That's just following the path that they have set for us. Exactly. What I'm trying to get kids to do is dig deeper and to understand the context, to understand the composer and the times that that composer was living in and why they wrote that piece of music and why it's so, it's so powerful. And what does it mean to you? Because what that composer may have meant, it may mean something completely different to you and that's okay. So um, it's one of those things, Garrett, that, you don't know who you're teaching. That's the power about teaching. You have no idea who they will become, who they are, and the future that they have for themselves. So I teach every student like they're my kid. Yeah, wow. Uh, but so, and it's interesting that you say that. that. That reminds me of the final question I'm going to ask you. But, but before I jump to that, I wanted to give you the uh, opportunity uh, to talk about uh, one of your brands more than a music teacher. What what, right. what is that, and 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 how and, and why is that important to to you know to to all the work you're doing? You know, I'm long winded, as the folks <laughs> would be able to tell. When I tell a story, I tell a story. Mm -hmm. But to make this one short, I had a principal that came into my room and uh, the principal was new to the school and I was teaching students uh, uh, MLK uh, drum major for drum major, uh, the drum major speech. Okay. We were reading it together. And afterwards she told me, you know, you don't have to do all that. You're just a music teacher. Just wow. teach them some music. Wow. And I had to tell that principal right then and there, no, I'm more <laughs> than a music teacher. Like that's the job title I have, but I take this seriously. I have to teach students about their culture. I have to teach them that they too matter. Like all of that is tied into who I am as a music teacher. So then I just started doing every post I put on social media. I'm like, hashtag more than a music teacher, more than a music teacher. So then my sister got me a shirt made. 
And she said, you say that so much, you need a shirt that says more than a music teacher. And um, she made me this shirt and then I wore it and folks was like, oh my God, I need that. Like more than a music teacher. So it kind of took on a little life of its own. And it's just simply saying that, yes, we teach music, but that is just a piece of who we are. Yeah. Like we're counselors for students. We're father figures. Like we're, we're, we're doing things that quite frankly are not in our job description. Yeah. So when I say more than a music teacher is not to be braggadocious is, is literally just saying that's my title, but I'm more than that. Um, and reminds, so I hope I was able to tell that quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it reminds me of music itself because what piece of music is just music. Think about any Negro spiritual, think about the mm -hmm. blood and the anguish connected yes. to those, you know, let's fast forward today. You know, you, you mentioned, um, old town road, you know, a mm -hmm. uh, little Nas X, you know, it's not just that song it's hours in his bedroom and behind yes. Twitter and you know, all yes. the money and the sacrifice. So yeah, more than music, more than a music teacher. Um, uh, but before I let you go, you know, you, uh, you mentioned that you teach all of these uh, kids um, as if they're your own. So it's been a long time, you know, since you and I have been running around the University of Memphis and doing everything else, you know, you've yeah. gotten married and you're also a father now. I wonder yes. if becoming a father impacted um, your perspective on teaching, on how important it is to, you know, uh, to grab these kids from a young age and the responsibility you have with all these other folks as kids. You know, it made it so personal. And I look at parents and I just say, I'm, a, I'm just astonished that parents, it's a lot. It's a lot <laughs> that goes into yeah. raising young people and especially raising a black boy yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2020. So uh, the moment I had our, my wife had uh, Edward 2017, immediately I was able to see that parents bring us their best. Like no parent deliberately raises a bad kid like like i just can't fathom that like you you just they bring us their best it is up to us to see the best and then we mold and shape and help because we're part of that community that village and so when you drop your kid off and you say he's at rehearsal with mr willis that's a badge of honor yeah that i must protect because you have gave me your most precious commodity to help uh, teach and engage and build their capacity as young people. So as a teacher, I take that so serious. So when I have 30 kids and we're doing an after-school rehearsal, I gotta know where you are. I have to know what's going on. I have to know how your day went because it's not just the music that I'm teaching. And so um, my son has changed my world. <laughs> He has, uh, but he provides me, there's this word again, joy, mm. because it's, it's unfiltered, it's unbiased. He has such innocence um, in, in, the, in the world that we live. And I want to um, continue to mold and encourage him because he loves music, Garrett. He, I mean, he, you cut on some music and he is just moving them shoulders <laughs> and, and dancing. And um, so I just pray that when he has a music teacher and we drop him off, that they're able to see the best in him, that they're able to see his goals, his aspirations and dreams, and that they're able to tap into his brilliance. Otherwise, because you're going to be up at the school. 
<laughs> that part. I will be there. I will be that parent. I will be. And so um, it's just, you know, it's 2020 is has been a year to say the least. But within it, I'm learning to find the joy, find the brilliance with all that comes with them because we have a voice and we have platforms where we can share this knowledge. There used to be a time where we couldn't talk. We were muted. Right. And right. so now we have opportunity and we have the, uh, the, the chance to get into some good trouble as John Lewis says. Amen. And, and as a young kid, I had no idea what that meant, but now I'm understanding that people want to maintain the systems that have been created. Yeah. yeah. And when we challenge, I told somebody the other day, I guess I'm just a natural challenger. I'm a disruptor because I want to see kids shine. When Franklin Willis was doing hip hop in the classroom, oh, he is over there teaching that hip hop stuff. No, I'm not teaching hip hop. I'm teaching kids steady beat. I'm just utilizing hip hop to do it. Right. Meanwhile, when I come into your classroom, kids can't keep a steady beat. <laughs> and, and can't pay attention to you neither. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just like, I'm just doing something different. It's not bad. Yeah. And so um, I think when we give each other grace and, and we and we show each other uh, compassion, that's when we're able to tap into the to, to these uh, uh, tough conversations. We're able to to tell the truth about some things. Um, so I'm just hoping that elementary music right now, we're in a pivotal space where there is much conversation being had about song selection about representation and so i'm hoping that we continue these tough conversations so that our kids get the best yeah absolutely where, where, where can folks um learn more uh, about you keep up with your work and maybe even buy some of this more than a music teacher merchandise you can follow me at f willis music on all social media platforms um if you wanted to check out a shirt you can go to prince rhythm company PrinceRhythmCompany.com, and we have music teacher apparel, um, shirts, bags, coffee mugs, all that good stuff. Um, and I would love to connect with you and collaborate. And shout out to Garrett for having me on today. Uh, appreciate you and all your work that you're doing, bro. Yeah, Mr. Willis, as folks call you. Thank you for uh, spending <laughs> a part of your weekend here. <laughs> understand Scott if a kid you know in um, third or fourth grade is getting um, hip-hop reinforced in you know music class you know um, how you know that could impact what we do for a living you know the, sure. just the normalization of certain sounds of certain beats you know mm -hmm. what if Someone just wants to play piano with an 808 drum in the background. There's nothing sure. intrinsically wrong with that, but it's just a sound that a lot of the classical world will push back against. I'm sure. And, you know, seeing as how the, the where we work as a service, 
uh, with all these client stations, and there's a manager at each one of those, and and they're going to have thoughts about it too. Right. So so maybe the the manager, you know, on the West Coast will like, oh, this is cool, but you know, someone down in another part of the country who really wants to hear that Schubert song, here's some 808s on the radio with some piano. That's a problem. Yeah. Probably. I don't I don't even know how to well, I know how to begin to solve that problem, but that's why I'm in the situation I'm in now. So I'll <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. How about we get into this triloquy? Last week I was feeling a little down and this week I'm on the opposite side of that and feeling up and all of my accidentals were positive, right? Mm -hmm. So my triloquy this week is also going to be positive and I need to take my headphones off here just for a second so that I can show you. You, oh, you shaved your head. Oh, it looks good. It looks very good. It's Okay, wait, wait. Truth in advertising. This isn't shaved. This is a number one guide. You okay? So what I'm thinking about right now is you're you're talking about um, the feelings of you know when you're younger. Oh, when my hair starts to thin, it's fine. I'll just shave it. And then the reality of and then that hits you, <laughs> and you got to deal with that. Okay, so vanity lands on you like a load of bricks, and then all of a sudden you go, well, I don't know if I do have the balls to to shave it after all, and. I got a, I was doing some videos up at work and I got to look at myself in profile when I was looking at it and it was like these doll hairs hanging off my I said, you're not fooling anybody and the the cool thing is the shorter you go the more hair it looks like you've got so I look like I've got more hair kind of does down at a quarter inch than I did growing out and I think it's great I can take my motorcycle helmet on and off and I don't have to worry if, whether or not I look pretty We'll have to get you some new headshots for the website. We're going to have to get new headshots. I want, I want one of me sitting upright with the little floating one, the more serious expression up in the corner. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and I guess to make this, you know, your triloquy, this true and real, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not 50, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early thirties, but you know, I know there are a lot of people of many different ages that listen to this and, 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 uh, you know, are, are going through different, uh, sort of milestones, uh, in, in their lives, maybe different, uh, creaks and aches through their lives or whatever you know yeah. as, as, a, as a 50 year old someone who turned 50 this year someone who speaks to you know feeling one way in your mind but sometimes your body doesn't always what what are your what 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 are your words what are your words well first i have to give a shout out to heather who helped me with the haircut and we were talking about this very thing about how the night shift i worked 11 and a half years overnight and to me it feels like Four years has gone by, mm -hmm. and at the same time, 40. And I don't know how that's even possible, but it feels that way. I don't feel 50, but my body acts it. Yeah. <laughs> and seeing as how I spent so much time alone and overnight, I don't feel like, in, in some regards, it feels like the second hand goes by with each minute rather than a second. Time drags, and at the same time, I go... Where did the last 14 years go? Yeah, yeah. So it'll happen to you. Look forward to it. You're going to have the day. It's, it's coming, man. Black don't crack, though. That's, that's not what that's I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Your body's going to start falling apart. Your body's, you're going to you're gonna have to be careful about what you eat. 
And that sure. really irritates me. Sure. That I have to pre-party to go and have a Mexican meal. That <laughs> really irritates me. Right. It's going to happen to you. I'm and sure. And you. And you. <laughs> well, I mean, as, you know, I, I think about, you know, my little short years. I think about how 19 felt different than 25 feels different uh, than now. And, and getting to, you know, do this with you and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and and talk with you as, as you notice things at your age, you know, I I think it's um I, I think it's it, it makes me look forward to becoming more seasoned you know to <laughs> is that you what know, it is now <laughs> I think uh, that, that's what I'm gonna say anyway you hear that I'm seasoned <laughs> um so um uh but but before I get into my uh, main uh triloquy I just wanted to I want I want to shout out once again you know for the thousandth time uh time uh Katie and Delaney from Classically Black so I'm over there um on the DSP on my phone uh catching up over there just decided to scroll down um to to look at their ratings and stuff and they have the uh, suge- other suggested uh podcasts here you know oh, right, right. uh triloquy pops up uh, right there is the first uh suggested so I started to play a little game i was like so i wonder where these suggested um you know links will take me so i click back on triloquy you know it shows classically black i'm gonna shout out a few podcasts as i go here it suggests melanated moments i go there look at those suggestions it begins to throw me toward the less um afrocentric and you know uh so so-called you know other whatever the whatever other word you want to uh, fill in the blank podcast um, and take us into more of the, you know, traditional um, uh, ones that look at classical from the more traditional perspective. Mm. The deeper you get into those, as far as clicking suggestions, it never comes back. So what? So what am I saying? What is my point here? In even in the way that content is sorted and and naturally uh, presented and advertised for people, there is a level of segregation there. All of the uh, black and black adjacent uh, classical music and so-called so-called classical music podcasts are suggested among themselves. As soon as you get out of that loop and go into again one of the more traditional ones, you know, not um, Afrocentric or, or or whatever, you never get suggested back to the group of podcasts that live in our little uh, family. I just think it's something to think about and something to look at and consider when we talk about systemic racism, you know, systems all the way through that divert attention from, you know, uh, work that, that, you know, like we're doing here. That isn't intentional, though. Those algorithms, are they intentional? Let's say they're not intentional. Okay, well, we just happen to have content that um, is similar enough to where the algorithms will pair us all together. Okay, we can consider that. But let's consider the alternative. You know, what if it is intentional? Is there no precedent in in the history of slave-beaten, Jim Crowin? Um, whatever else you want to say, America, is there no precedent for someone at these uh, companies to be to be doing that? Now, y'all can call me a hotep or a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I just think it's interesting that, um, you know, our work can point you toward other things, but other things don't point you back toward us. Okay, I get, I all right, I get what you're saying about that. However, its algorithm is designed to give you more of what you have previously listened to, right? So if I spend a bunch of time listening to Steely Dan radio and all Mm -hmm. those associated ones, how do you think I would feel if all of a sudden 
um, Metallica got mixed in there in the middle of it. Okay, but but let's say you know you like listening. Uh, you're you're looking for a uh, a rock podcast. Okay, mm-hmm. so you mean to tell me that you know it would be and and I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but let's just say that you start with a, a podcast that is about you know Little Richard and 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 the black side of 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 rock and roll. You eventually you know bleed over into the Beatles, and you know when you go down that rabbit hole of of content, you know different podcasts, you're never pointed back to you know anything black or black adjacent in rock. That's all I'm saying. Okay, yeah, I can I can I can get that. I just don't know what the answer. Is. There, I, I did see um, a show where this guy was talking about where his TiVo thought he was gay. Did mm. you see that? Because oh, right. he watched an episode of Queer Eye and then it starts sh- suggesting things that are like Queer Eye. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know the answer to the part about referring it back to the Afrocentric one that got you to the less Afrocentric. Right. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do know that their whole game is giving you more of what you tend to listen to right? or what they think you want or what or just you, what yeah what yeah, you just, think just, what you think you want and and, and that's the only, <laughs> and, and that's the only reason i'm naming this i just thought it was interesting you know so, something that uh relates to you know the kind of content we're making and the way it uh bleeds into the conversation of what we say systemic racism now call foul tell me that i'm i'm reaching that that that's fine do do all of that all i'm saying is it's easy for me to locate all of the other uh Black and and um, and what, what diverse right. you know classical music podcast is easy for me to find those when I go to the ones that aren't specifically rooted in that it's like you would never know that we're even there because you know the podcast oh, deconstructing Beethoven four is 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 more important so um, that's that it's interesting that you tell the uh, story about the guy and his TiVo the um, the Twitter bots used to always send me all of these um, uh, female nudes well I guess now they've gotten smart because wow. I'm starting to get some dick pics. In the, well, well, you know, that's, in, in that, that's a good point. But like, you know, around this time of year, when I start watching things like the haunting of Hill house and, yeah. and Babadook and, you know, the, all those, then when I go to Netflix, their home, their splash page starts suggesting other horror stuff. Even, right? even earlier today, when I asked you to play that uh, Nina Simone song, uh, as, as it's we were listening. doing our pre-production, you know, it, it almost had it typed in. Anyway, that that's that was supposed to be a little mini uh, triloquy, oh, but oh, that's not the big one. But, okay, but my main one. <laughs> is going to have to wait until next week because, as I mentioned in today's downbeat, there um, is a little drama, but trust me, we'll get into it. So I'm going to smoke this blunt, and I'll see y'all next Wednesday. 